The Superpowers of the Soul Channel is brought to you by Superpower Experts. Visit superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers today. You're listening to Deep Soul Dialogue with Nellie Loth. Discover the truth of who you really are. Hi everyone, welcome back. This is Deep Soul Dialogue and my name is Nellie. I get to be the host and I am so humbled to welcome you back here. This is the Superpower Network and this is the Superpowers of the Soul Channel. Every episode, I think, is a guidepost. It might be the entrance to a sanctuary or perhaps to a clearing in the woods where I experienced a clearing in my mind on my spiritual journey and path. And each time I share with you my experiences, I feel humbled by it. I feel really humbled by my life. And much of it, as I repeat each time, Much of the grace, the insight, and the learning came from great challenges. So even as I begin this podcast, I always want to say to you, it's the challenges and the people that challenge you that can be your greatest teacher. We looked at that, I think, the last episode and the one before that. And so today I want to speak about something else, another experience I had in India. I love these stories, and I hope that these stories are enlightening you. I hope through my experiences, you may feel encouraged in your own way and on your own spiritual pilgrimage. The assumption here, of course, is that your spiritual life is a container within which You hold all your concepts and your views of the world. How you perceive the world comes from within your own mind. And if I've cultivated an interior sanctuary, if I've cultivated with my mind this interior monastery in my own heart, that's the way I hold the world. I have to work at it. You know, we're in the season right now, as I record this podcast, we are in the middle of the great celebration known as Hanukkah. And for all my Jewish sisters and brothers, it's been an extraordinary practice for so long to honor the eight nights where we light candles to commemorate the rededication of the temple. There was enough oil after the war, and the temple had been desecrated, and they wanted to rededicate the great temple. There was enough oil to light a lamp for one night, and yet that lamp remained lit for eight consecutive nights. That in itself is a miracle and a message for each of us. There is enough resource in you. They keep the light burning. And as we think about Hanukkah, I like to look at it at a deeper metaphysical level 
And Deep Soul Dialogue looks at Hanukkah as well as a way we constantly rededicate the temple, the sanctuary, the church in my own heart. That's all a spiritual practice is. Keep that synagogue. Keep the clearing open. Keep the fire burning. Bring fresh flowers and incense into the nave. Your heart is the holiest place, and in your heart is a great altar. That is the divine spark. It's the jewel ornament of the Buddha mind. And in Deep Soul Dialogue, we're polishing the gem. We're keeping the flame alive. And we come at it from so many traditions. Isn't that great? Because here we can all meet and share our different stories. And so today, during the season of Hanukkah, I hope to share another story that enlightened my life. And it came from a wonderful experience, again, during the time that I was in India, first time eight months, the second time just two, living in a remote village outside of Dehradun and staying in a Buddhist monastery. Phenomenal time in my life. So here I am, raised Christian, speaking during Hanukkah of an experience in a Buddhist monastery and sharing with you an experience with a man who was a pujari, who took care of a tomb for a Hindu slash Muslim saint. That means in this village, Muslims and Hindus recognized this holy man. And this is the story of this pujari. It comes from puja. This is a man who took care of a little shrine out in the middle of a field behind my monastery and how I happened upon him and what it taught me. It's a wonderful story that I hope will open your heart, will help you keep the candles lit in your heart, wave the flowers, the incense, and the lights before the shrine within yourself, because where you are is a very holy place. That can't be disputed. And the more you accept that inner sanctuary in your life, your heart, in the center of your being, that is the only way to recognize it in others. That also means when I'm up against someone who sort of looks dark to me, where I don't recognize the light in them, I have work to do on myself. But let me share you the story of this man. I just call him Pujari. Again, that is one who takes care of shrines and temples, maybe a mausoleum. He performs puja, sacred ritual. It's from Sanskrit. Let's just take a few moments. Get yourself centered and open. And I'll be right back to share the story of this friend, my pujari. The Superpower Experience goes way beyond the podcast. Listeners can connect with hosts and one another inside the Superpower Universe Plus membership. Members get access to high vibe connections, superpower masterclasses, and much, much more. Don't wait another moment to step into your superpowers. Go to superpowerexperts.com and sign up today. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. 
I want to talk to you about this incredible being that I met in the middle of a field behind the monastery outside of the Dun and the Sahastadara Road. I don't even know how I found myself there in that field. But I did. I would take long walks all through the area around this monastery. Some was some of the paths I took were very rudimentary roads, you know, they're not really paved as we understand paving. And yet I would walk way through and find a little village, take a big circumambulation around the area surrounding our monastery. And of course, I found walking paths up the side of a hill. I'd find little shrines everywhere. In my village, I'm living at a Buddhist monastery. Our tailor was a Muslim, a beautiful, sweet soul, who did so much work for the Buddhist monks and nuns with their garments and sewing. And he was a friend to us. And he was the musin. So he would call Allahu Akbar in the morning. Our Muslim friend. And around the corner was a huge Hindu temple. And I met these sages there, these Hindu sadhus, when they had, they were covered in ash and they had long dreads, some of them, and they lived in these shrines. It was just marvelous. People of all different faiths. And I would walk and find myself having these adventures and meetings with people that totally enriched my life. Now, I don't really know or remember how I found myself on this path that would connect the Sahasrdara Road, this one road where I lived, outside of Dehradun, to another area called Rajpur and the Rajpur Road. It was as if it was a shortcut through this flat plain, not beautiful in the sense of the way we think it wasn't green and it wasn't a garden. It was this vast plain and very dry. And I could find this path and it led me to this great area called Rajpur and the Rajpur Road. And I would walk this a lot. And one day walking on this path behind my monastery, I found a shrine. It's a mausoleum. Very, very simple. Basically, four pillars with a concrete roof over a tomb. And next to it was a little concrete hut. I think it had one window with bars, much the way homes and different places and shrines were built in India. And it had the cloths and flags and Somebody was taking care of this shrine. But I would pass back and forth until one day I saw this man with his orange hennaed hair. This man who had hennaed his hair, sort of orange. He was much shorter than I was. And it turns out he is the Pujari. He lived and his life was the caring for the tomb of this saint. It is a saint or a person revered in this local area 
by Muslims and Hindus alike. I was sort of blown away by this. I had gone back to the village after I first saw him, and I would see him in my little village by the chai stand, a little chai shop. And I kept seeing him now and again, and I just called him Pujari. And somebody who spoke pretty good English told me he took care of this shrine. Imagine to be so humbled that your life was just caring for what we call, or the Hindus and many others of India called a Maha Samadhi shrine. Maha Samadhi, that means an enlightened being makes a transition, it leaves the body, dies, but it's called a Maha Samadhi. Because the mind of a great enlightened being is undisturbed by death. Maha, samadhi. Samadhi means an awakened state. I'm in samadhi and the mind is completely centered. We might think samadhi is when I am still, as in be still, and know that I am God. Any meditation or enlightened master can be in a state of samadhi even when they are in the world doing tasks because the mind itself is so submerged in the divine or in its Buddha nature, it is completely undisturbed. Calm. So a Maha Samadhi shrine is like a sanctuary dedicated to the place where someone took Maha Samadhi. If I could lay my body aside knowing I am not that body, that takes a lot of practice. And every tradition speaks of this, and in the Hindu and Buddhist traditions, Mahasamadhi is a great thing to celebrate even more than someone's birth. To celebrate where someone was able to lay the body aside undisturbed, Mahasamadhi. So here we are at this shrine, a samadhi shrine. And I knew from the village and by the symbols around this samadhi, by the flags and the cloths, that it looked like it was Hindu and Muslim. So one day I'm walking back, sort of not too much aware until I come upon the tomb. I don't even mean to go to that tomb. And I see the Pujari. I see this man I call Pujari. And this is where the story becomes so profound. Because all of a sudden, I and the Pujari are having a dialogue, a deep soul dialogue. We are speaking to each other, and yet we do not speak each other's language. You would have seen two separate physical bodies, a tall Western woman and a much shorter, henna orange-haired, sweet Pujari, a Hindu-Muslim man of India. You would have heard our two different languages speaking to each other, but what you couldn't see 
was this light body in us. It's as if both of us had a body of light. And it was translating everything we said, and we understood each other. What were we saying? The Catholic-born girl living in a Buddhist monastery, studying Advaita non-duality of the Hindu tradition, is speaking to a man who is caring for a shrine of a Muslim Hindu saint, and we are speaking about the truth, being one reality. It was such an extraordinary, transcendental or transcendent experience. You know, as I speak about it, Right now, I remember it clearly. We completely understood each other. We completely understood each other. And at one point, I remember we're both pointing to the sky or heaven, because humans do that, as if there's a heaven out there, but we're both saying everything comes from the same reality. It doesn't matter the language or the form. We were not confined to our bodies, our history, our lineage, or our language. We were speaking the language of love. And that is a miracle. Thinking about that Pujari, you know, I just want to hug him. It changed everything for me. I used to still see him down in my little village, and it was like seeing a friend a companion, a spiritual companion, the capital F friend that the Sufi mystics speak about. We both experienced a miracle. And it is a natural state where two separate beings are able to communicate with a language beyond their physical bodies and differences. This is the great dialogue of the soul. When we speak about discover the truth of who you really are, aren't I speaking about this other being? We might say a being of light, because how do I describe what really didn't have a form? It was an experience I was having. And it was based on trying to describe love, and that requires the language of love. Let's go deeper and talk about the language of love, because I tell you this, everything you think creates your reality, and we all know that by now. And when I'm having these really angry, divisive thoughts of attack, depression, hatred, you know it eats you up. So what we have to do is become mindful. What is the language of love? We know, for example, that it doesn't have to be words at all. <laughs> you know, we've all been around that person who could walk into a room and not say anything, and you just wanted to back up. <laughs> you know, they were either angry or very dark, or their eyes seemed clouded and and they had a gesture, and maybe the people that we look at who are rolling their eyes. Oh, I, I've had a lot of eye rolls in my life. I mean, look what I talk about. <laughs> people might think I'm nuts, but I'd rather be crazy in love than so smart and angry, depressed and sad. 
So what's the language of love? I've been thinking about this today as I drove along the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's a stunning day. And it seemed as if the sky was speaking the language of love and beauty. And I couldn't help but think of one sentence from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that most of us have heard many times. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I speak in human and angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. Does that not describe our world? The resounding gongs and the cymbals and the constant noise and chaos. Turn on any station with the news. Be bombarded by the catastrophic events. And we can get addicted to all that. And it creates an interior experience. Or I can say, no, I want to speak the language of love. The Buddha said, with our thoughts, we make the world. Teach this simple truth to all, the triple truth to all, a generous heart, kind speech, and a life of service and compassion are the things which renew humanity. Ah, so what does this mean? It means I can be an antidote to the resounding gong and the clashing cymbal when I quiet my own mind and I take responsibility, even in this moment, for my thoughts. So that I can approach one other human being and have that experience that I had with the Pujari. And to be honest with you, I have these experiences a lot. To be honest with you, I can be with strangers and often at restaurants with the wait staff and have profound conversations about love and kindness. And I can't take responsibility for it. It happens as it did with the Pujari. I don't feel I'm relate, relating as a separate human to another separate human, but as if the divine is speaking to itself. It's as if I have this context that my language should reflect. And here's the context. It's as if this being of love, the being of compassion, places one hand in Nelly and another hand in a stranger and brings them both together as if in a prayerful namaskar at its heart. Imagine if I could look at every other human with the potential to see a reflection of the sacred, the divine, the beautiful, and as if that person and I will come together as two hands in a prayerful pose at the heart of each of us. That first suggests that I am 
open to that being the way I want to interact. That becomes my intention. I might have to begin the day. May I go out and greet each individual as they truly are, as if to say, hello, friend. It means I have to really cultivate the language that says, no matter the appearance, no matter the action anyone is taking within each individual is a spark, the light of truth, a diamond mind. But that means when I engage in conversations with my friends, I need to start speaking what I really believe instead of reacting as if someone pushes a button and we get into the dialogue, the conversation where we talk about them. <laughs> you know, them. The people different, the people with different opinions, the people who look different the people who act different than we are, instead of seeing the communion. My language must reflect communion, and I have to cultivate that language. The triple truth the Buddha speaks about is first, a generous heart. And we'll talk about that in episodes to come, a generous heart, just being open to giving. Kind speech. This is the second of the triple truth, to speak kindly, which means to speak in the human and angelic tongue, but with love. This becomes the antidote to the resounding gong or clashing cymbal. And then my life of service and compassion, they help renew humanity. The Buddha is saying we need those three truths, the triple truth of a generous heart, kind speech, and a life of service and compassion. Feel it right now. It feels good because it resonates as if I go. It resonates. When you speak your truth, it resonates. It makes a beautiful sound instead of a many people in the world, many, many, many people in the world don't know they have a choice. They're just in reaction. They're just shouting and yelling and they're right and they're angry and they're depressed and they're sad and they're filled with self-hate. But the Buddha suggests, as does Paul. In the letter to the Corinthians, we can generate a heart of love, but we must begin with the language of love. And that sort of means I need to speak who I really am. You don't need to worry about, I don't know how to go out there and talk like this. People think I'm nuts. They might, but you'd be in great company. Most of the saints of all traditions often looked pretty foolish. But it's good to look foolish. It's good to dance to the music you hear from the heart. It's good to be in the world childlike, joyfully, playing at your life instead of being so serious. And it has to become a practice where I am responsible for what I say. And that means for what I'm thinking. 
I want to go back to Pujari. That was truly a miracle. I'm looking at it from the outside and seeing those two people again, standing in this sort of desert plain outside of this monastery, in between the monastery and Rajpur. And I see this sort of like a glow of light around these two strangers. And I'm moved by the grace that says when you speak the truth, it doesn't matter the differences at the level of appearance. Your language will be the language of communion. You'll be communicating from communion and community. This is really why I do this podcast, to take conversation and to take what we communicate and to look at it from the great potentiality of a dialogue of mind to mind, heart to heart, soul to soul light to light. I think that's not only possible, it's the only reality. When you speak about peace and love and kindness, even if you don't experience it, it begins to open the windows, the shutters, and the doors where you are locked inside a dark room. One time I had this very clear meditation And I felt as if I was just in a really dark place and I was banging on the door to a church, banging, 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 let me in, I'm so sad. This was many years ago. Not that I haven't had these experiences in the last year or two. And I'm banging on this door and I'm in a meditation and I'm desperate, open, unlock the door. And I hear someone say, Nellie, You've locked the door from the inside. (laughs) Come out. You've locked the door from the inside, the door for love, grace, compassion, wisdom, mercy. It's never locked. (laughs) Nellie, you've locked the door from the inside. Oh, my gosh. This is the language of love. It says the power is in you. With our thoughts, we make the world. Don't think the world has locked you out. Don't think they're out to get you. Don't keep thinking about your mother's inadequacy to love you. Get over it. Be in the present moment and say, I don't want to be a noisy gong. I don't want to be a clashing cymbal. I do have love because I come from love. I have compassion. It's my innate nature. I'm going to walk through the day as if I believe I am beautiful and loving and kind. There's this incredible mantra that says, and this would be in Hindu, but I'm speaking the English translation. Lord, lead me from the unreal to the real. Lead me from the darkness to the light. Lead me from death to immortality. Lead me from chaos to beauty. And I'm thinking of that line. 
chaos to beauty. Let it begin with simply opening the windows and doors as if taking a breath and releasing with your breath the chaotic thoughts that are like resounding gongs and a clashing cymbal. And literally, fake it till you make it. Think beautiful thoughts. The world's not going to hell in a handbasket. It's a phenomenal sanctuary and classroom filled with countless sacred, holy, divine beings, all learning the same thing, but in a different way. Eventually, there's only one thing to learn, love, and to communicate it. To be generous of heart and to be willing to help others, to cultivate compassion. Believe me, you're so much better when that is the interior dialogue you're having. When you begin each day, I'm going to make this a fabulous day. And whoever I meet today, first let I let my thoughts be of kindness, beauty, generosity toward them and myself. I hope that this dialogue and this conversation, and especially the image of Nellie and the Pujari speaking and completely understanding each other, become the template for the possibility of each of us communicating to others in a way that is kind, loving, generous, and merciful. I mean, what else have you got to do? And when you catch yourself in that kind of conversation that becomes yeah, you know, you're gossiping and you're going on and on about something that just feels like a noisy gong, you know, banging like that instead of a catch yourself, start again. I found myself saying to people, you know, I just can't go there. And I found myself saying to people, you know, I just think there's another way to see this and to see the world, to see COVID, to see all the crises and to still communicate love, beauty, and the immortality of love and compassion. So this is Nellie and Deep Soul Dialogue. You can go to my website, which is Cherish Heart Center. And you can look at different ways I still try to serve through Zoom meetings and and workshops and the writing that I've done that is available through Amazon and Nellie Loth. And see if it speaks to you. I do individual mentoring as well for spiritual practice. I hope, I really hope that this podcast and these sharings enrich your life and encourage you to lighten the load of heaviness 
to speak your truth. That means just speak in a happy way, to choose to be happy, to enjoy your life and even this day. I really do thank you for coming and being with us on the Superpower Network and on this channel, Superpowers of the Soul. And I really thank you for listening to Deep Soul Dialogue. May you discover the truth of who you really are and bring it as a blessing to everyone you meet. My hands are folded in namaskar. Thank you for being here. See you next time. I can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.